Animal Magnetism, exploring animal care for creatures great and small, conservation and preservation in today's world. Find out what a single voice can do to make a difference in the lives of animals. Animal Magnetism with Carolyn Hennessy starts right now on UVN Radio. Oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. This is our first, uh, well, live show that a show that has not been a rebroadcast in how many weeks? A long time. A long time because I was doing a film in Boston, and then I had doing a film three weeks in Jamaica, uh, which was a fascinating experience, which I would love to talk about, but can't because we were filming at a clothing optional resort. Yes, we were, and most people took that option. Uh, the guests there, they, they, they chose that option, and it was um, something to see. It was really something to see. Um, but I, I jumped off a cliff, and I became a certified scuba diver. So I have decided that the world under the surface of the water is f much better for me than the, than the world above, because it's quiet and it's beautiful, and people don't bother you. So, so there's that. So this is it's this. So this is very exciting for me. I feel like I, I feel like it's kind of almost brand new for me, because it's been so long. But welcome, listeners, to Animal Magnetism. I am your uh, preservation and conservation host, Carolyn Hennessy, joined as always by my co-producer and co-host and general all-around fabulous gal, Andrea Compton. Say hello, Andrea. Hi. Good morning. And we are joined by uh, the individual that I consider the alpha and the omega, certainly in my world, of animal advocacy, Dr. Gray Stafford. Thank you. Good morning. Hello, hello my um, friend. How are good you? Good morning. And please tell me that clothing is not optional for animal magnetism. Yes. Well, if you want it to be. Listen, you can, put, you can position the camera anywhere you want. That's as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I'll, I'll spare I, I just I, Listen, because after what I've seen... Believe me, it would be Christmas. So it's uh, it's as simple as that. <laughs> Today we have what I and Gray, I think you will corroborate this. Uh, what I consider to be one of the big gets, one yeah. of the big big gets in the conservation and preservation world. Um, we've had people like uh, Mark Simmons and Billy Hurley and 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 the great Jungle Jack Hanna on, and this individual. Brad Andrews, I think, knows possibly more than anyone, any of those three combined. It would, it's because the things that you do, Brad, are, are numerous. I honestly don't know how you have that many hours in a day to, to, because of everything that you do. So thank you for coming on. Brad Andrews. And coming on really kind of at the last minute. We are so so grateful to have you here. Where are you? You're 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 back east somewhere, uh -huh. if I if I'm not mistaken. Can I'm actually sitting in my uh, kitchen in or Mount Dora, Florida. Yeah, love it. See Florida. So this is so this is not eight o'clock in the morning for you. It's 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 eleven eleven. So um, let me tell my listeners a little bit about you to start. First of all. I'm going to I'm going to give a little bit a little backstory. Last Saturday night, not not last night, but last Saturday night. I'm sorry, last Monday night. What no Saturday night. I'm all, I've I'm 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 all over the place. Um, the Hero Dog Awards sponsored by the American Humane Association. And 
for those who don't know, it's it's a celebration of dogs who are very who are in in active duty um, or have been in active duty in the military as as guide dogs, uh, therapy dogs, uh, arson dogs, the dogs who have. I mean, seriously important jobs, and there's also the emerging hero dog, which is usually I don't know actually who won, because I I get very verklempt at these at these things, seeing all of the all of the sadness that has befallen some of these dogs in their lives. So we left a little early, um, my friend Tracy and I, but not before you spoke. And Brad, you were honored with the Humanitarian of the Year award by the American Humane Association. So congratulations on that. And Thank you and you gave a speech that you say you keyed off of five words, but my friend Tracy and I, who was sitting in the audience, we said, "Oh no, no, no! You've you've you must have written that." We we spoke to you before during the cocktail hour before the actual awards ceremony, and I, I said, "Well, you know, you're certainly going to thank me in your very extemporaneous speech," and you, it was it was very funny. And you said, "No, you have nothing written." Well, <laughs> as great as the as the best extemporaneous speakers. Do you didn't have anything written, so you say? But it was so clear and so concise and so beautiful that I really I wanted to have you on to discuss what you said in this speech. <clears throat> but there's no text, so we're going to try try and recreate it. But let me tell my listeners a little bit about you. You are the global director of American Humane Association's Humane Conservation Program. Now, this is the program that I believe, Gray and I, you and I, we, we went back to Washington to speak to some of the members and staffers of Congress about. This yes, is, that's correct. Yes, yes, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. You are the internationally recognized figure in the zoological field. You are also the Emeritus Chief Zoological Officer for SeaWorld Parks and Entertainment. During your tenure, you were responsible for all of SeaWorld Bush Gardens Park's animal programs, including husbandry, breeding, training, beached animal rescue programs, education, transportation, and acquisition procedures. You began your career at SeaWorld in 1987. Wow. As associate curator for SeaWorld of California, started working with marine mammals in 1972, when I was just a wee, wee tot at Marineland of the Pacific, later becoming general curator there. You hold a degree in biology and chemistry from St. Mary's College in Moraga, California. You are a member, a board member of Hub SeaWorld Research Institute, SeaWorld and Bush, Gar Gar SeaWorld and Bush Gardens Conservation, Conservation Fund, where you are actually the president of that, Wildlife Alliance, International Ele Elephant Foundation, International Rhino Foundation, Cheetah Conservation Fund, African Carnivore Research Association, Global Conservation <coughs> Network, and my favorite, the United States Rugby Foundation. <laughs> and you have served as past chair of the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, past president of International Association for Aquatic Animal Medicine. The list goes on and on and on. I, again, I don't understand <laughs> how you sleep. I really don't. You may be the busiest individual we've, we've ever had on here, possibly aside from Jack Hanna. So, Jack Hanna, by the way, uh, honors you, uh, I mean, you know, thinks so much of you that he actually sent you a congratulatory message last Saturday night when you were awarded the um, Humanitarian of the Year Award. So, let's talk a little bit. Actually, first of all, 
I keep forgetting. Andrea has sort of the question of the show. And this is something that she likes to ask and we like to know. Uh, so, Andrea, it's the floor is yours. Oh, well, thank you. So, Brad, one of the things we really love hearing about is what was that one moment, that one animal in your life that you connected with that put you on the path that you are on today? That's a great question. Wow. Um, <laughs> That's when, I, when I started, I never planned on doing this. Um, as I told everybody last Saturday, I, at one point I wanted to become a dentist. Uh, but then I realized with my drug status in 1971, 72, uh, that I wasn't going to go to dental school. And um, I was fortunate enough not to go to Vietnam. Um, and I stumbled into this work. I was doing some construction work with my father at Marineland of the Pacific, and he was telling the general manager that I was a great guy with animals. And I looked at him and I said, I thought, well, geez, dad, that's neat. Uh, we have a dog and a cat at home. Uh, that's it. Uh, <laughs> they were wonderful animals. And I started working in the fish house, which means at five in the morning, I was bucketing fish for thousands of pounds of fish every day for all the animals. So I got to distribute the fish to the different places throughout the park. So all of the animals that I met early in the morning were my new friends, my new buddies. So, um, you know, from baby walruses to uh, sea lions to whales uh, to pilot whales and dolphins. And so I'm, I'm not sure if I have a favorite animal, but probably the first connection that I had was hand rearing a baby walrus that had been orphaned out of Alaska. And every morning we'd make the formula and this animal created a, a little vocal repertoire with me in terms of it was, you know, making its woof woof noise and I'd make a woof woof noise back. And of course it slurped down its bottle of formula and it became my buddy. And as she got bigger up to two tons, she still wanted to climb on my lap. <laughs> we had to stop that, but the, that was probably the animal that really tipped it for me. The walrus. That's a, that's an astonishing answer. That's just a wonderful, wonderful answer. Just, just, just amazing. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your speech last Saturday. Yes, you wanted to become a dentist. But you also ad admonished everyone to start acting fast because, and this is interesting, because I thought we were sort of heading into the sixth mass extinction. But according to you, we're in it. We're in it and, and heavily in it. So... Let's talk about mass extinctions for my listeners who don't already know, which probably are very few, but perhaps my new listeners. Mass extinctions. This is where everything goes, right? That's, that's Well, not everything, but most everything. Um, there's been five previous. We're in the middle of the sixth. And um, as I alluded to the analogy I gave, if, if somebody has a, a baby today, and that baby boy or girl is fortunate enough to live to be 80 years old, about half the species that exist today on Earth will be gone, according to all the projections by biologists and people that know about this. And I find that very hard to understand and believe also. But it's happened in the past with cataclysmic events or uh, events that were not caused necessarily by humans. But this sixth mass extinction is being caused by us, period. There's just too many people. And the human being is the only life form on Earth today that can make a difference for animals. We can either make it good or make it bad. 
Um, so it's up to us. Well, we are, I think, uh, heavily involved in making it bad because there are, as and you're absolutely right. And when Jack was on the show, he 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 spoke about this. Gray, I think you and I have spoken about this at length many many times. So a number of people who have been on the show have just said there are too many people on this planet. There are simply too many people. And and I don't know. I I know what I'd like to do, but that's I'd but I'd be institutionalized um, or killed. Um, and it would be very gentle. I, I have to say that it wouldn't, you know. But but I, I what do we do? What, what do we do? We cannot st- stop people from reproducing, and there are no more wild spaces. So, how do we? And people don't care. I've seen people in other countries who couldn't care less about their fellow humans. So why should they care about animals? And, and, and that mindset can be attributed to, to even in, in the United States. It's everywhere. It's global. It's global thinking because people are now kind of, it's, it's, there are hard scrabble lives for, for many, many individuals. So how do we change the global mindset seriously to loving and, and caring for and preserving, conserving, these animals, seeing to it that half the species in 80 years are not gone. How do we do that? Because you, you admonished everyone to act fast, but what do we do? Well, you know, that's, it's a difficult question. What does everybody do? I mean, if everybody did something small, we could make a big difference. Um, and it starts in your backyard. It starts with using the right fertilizers and the chemicals and the, or the lack thereof. Don't use it at all. Protect the wildlife in your yard. Protect the wildlife in your your town, your village. Protect the wildlife from your neighbor's perspective, uh, whether it's domestic or wild, or indigenous or, or in, introduced. It, the, the reality is, is the, as you you said, the human human bond is so poor today. People don't care about people, and so it's really very difficult for people to really care about animals. But again, we have to work towards. The human-human bond and the human-animal bond has got to just simply improve. And how we do that is just a mindset and a messaging. And the messaging has always been so poor. From good zoos and aquariums, for instance, we, we've been very poor messengers at telling people what to do. And because they come to our facilities and our institutions, <clears throat> they're inspired. They love the animals. They want to do something. But then they walk away and they continue with their bad habits or, or, or the habit of not doing anything. And what we need to do is find a way to direct people to <clears throat> really do help animals, whether it's far away from their home or at their home. Gray probably could add more to that because his background is in education and, and actually messaging is very, very complete. Gray? Well, <clears throat> thank you for that compliment. Uh, I mean, it, it is a monumental task. And I, I think the, the messaging has to include the fact that we're all in this together. Um, there's no more manifest destiny. There's no more great West to, to uh, conquer, yeah. as there might have been 100 years ago, 200 years ago. Uh, we're running out of space. And, and, we're, we're, and Brad and I have talked about this. We're, we're sort of living on borrowed time and borrowed resources. Yeah. And that bill is coming due. Um, soon, especially when you consider things like 70% of human beings get their protein from the sea. And many commercial fisheries have gone away because they're no longer viable. So uh, 
while poverty rates have declined in the last 50 years overall, it's been, uh, we've been borrowing against time and, and this planet. And uh, so we've got to, I think, make that connection so that people realize there's some self-interest in here. Uh, we're not just talking about saving animals. We're, we're talking about saving ourselves, too. Ab ab absolutely. I, I, I met a gentleman in, in Jamaica who owns a fish farm on, on the island. And he's about to go out of business because even, even the farming, because the waters are simply so you know, kind of toxic. It was it was very interesting scuba diving because I didn't see any plastic. I didn't see anything sort of out of the ordinary except except a beautiful, beautiful coral reef, which seemed to be thriving. And I was looking for signs of decay. And yes, there were some, but it seemed to be thriving. But this is everywhere. This man is going to probably have to go out of business because the fish population, even farming it, is declining. And his fish are getting sick. And they're they're inedible. So messaging, now that we've taken trainers out of the water, and Brad, you and I spoke about this on Saturday night, you don't necessarily foresee them going back in the water. I have heard rumblings that they may be going back into the water as independent contractors, and that's just you know sort of rumblings and rumors and, and maybe wishful thinking on everybody's part. But the message of, the, of, the, of, of that human-animal bond was never stronger than when the trainers were in the water. And now the breeding has stopped at, 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 at SeaWorld, and it probably will not start again. It might, again, I hear rumblings, but it, but it might. So how does an organization like SeaWorld, like Bush Gardens, what, what kind of messaging... Since you are, since you are the, you know, I mean, you're, you are still connected with them, and as 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 the global um, the global director of American Humane's Humane's Conservation Program, are you insisting that the let's first of all let's talk about the the Humane Conservation Program that Gray and I went and spoke about everybody spoke about with to uh, to members of Congress. This is this is a this is a another level of accreditation. Zoos, aquariums, zoological institutions have, uh, have to apply to be audited and by American Humane. And when, if, when they pass rigorous, I mean, the standards are very high. When they pass, and a lot do, they're given another seal of approval, the American Humane seal of approval, which means that they are, you know, some of the best of the best. Are we insisting that the message that they send out in order to be accredited, ha has to do with starting in your own backyard? Are we insisting on that as part of the- Well, I think that the certification process is, is really a look at the wellness of the animals okay. and the welfare of the animals. And, okay. And what that, what that does is <clears throat> it shines a light on good zoos and aquariums, and it's done by third-party experts, people that have known know animals well, know their biology, know their behavior, but are no longer affiliated necessarily with a zoo or aquarium or a zoological park or a nature center. So it's really third party independent certification. And what they do is they look at the body of the animal, the, the behavior of the animal, how it acts with conspecifics, how it's acting when there's a keeper or a trainer around, as you said, the trainer might be in close proximity rubbing it down and having that rapport or that relationship that's so important. 
And that reflects to the audience that's watching, thinking that I need to be nicer to my pets. I need to be nicer to that dog that barks at me or, or growls at me. I need to figure out a way to have a rapport. So the certification process really is passing a rigorous test of a threshold for long-term welfare. And not necessarily looking at the issues of breeding, um, but looking at the reality of that when you have big social animals that do cycle and want to breed, it long-term is probably not in their best welfare to stop that with hormones or of something course. like that. It's of just course. not long-term. Well, of course. I mean, mm -hmm. the, the, the cessation of the breeding program at SeaWorld was inhumane, absolutely inhumane, because yeah. these are <laughs> these are familial animals and they want to breed. They want to be close to each other and and separate and separating that or 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 uh, you know giving the giving the females birth control or whatever it is that they are doing th that they have you know to stop the breed it's that was inhumane and I Gray I know you agree with me I mean it's just it's it's that's just, lo it's just logical it's just logical but but yes. With the, with the humane conservation, people can come into these zoos now and see perhaps if there's if it's if it's not non protected contact, trainers rubbing down the animals and and being close and having a bond with them. But as you say, these individuals who go to these newly accredited humane you know humane conservation zoos or aquariums are going to walk away without. Without a, without, with just a, with like a subliminal message. So how, how do we, and you in your position, how do you insist on like a big banner over the SeaWorld, you know, over the entrance to SeaWorld saying, be kind to your, be kind to your pets at home. It starts at home. It starts in your backyard. How do we get that message out? I think it's really challenging for sure because people need to trust you and they need to respect your uh, approach to these issues and I think that's why we actually started this certification process because I think we've lost the public trust and when the you know documentary Blackfish showed up and nobody defended it uh, in terms of its truthfulness it wasn't true at all except for a few, a few things the this I, I call it the smear campaign known as Blackfish that's what that's it's, it's wasn't a, it's it, to, to call it a documentary is 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 a fallacy that's it's because it's not it's so so i think losing the public trust was something that we really worked at in trying to figure out what could we do to make people realize that good zoos and good aquariums do the right thing to help animals and that translates into the messaging to people when they walk away thinking now what can i do who should i contact who, which organization, which NGO out there really does good work out there in the field? Who connects? What is the conservation programs at that facility uh, at the Dallas-Fort Worth Zoo? What are the conservation programs that they work on throughout the world and in the Caribbean and the Turtle Alliance and things like that? All the soft-shell turtles in the world right now are threatened. And those connections have to come from the folks at the zoo somehow, the keepers, the people, they talk to the guests and they say, listen, you can help the, with the Turtle Alliance and you can help do this with soft shell turtles all over the world. And you could help stop trafficking if you work with 
WWF in their trafficking division. You could work with uh, the International Conservation Bio Biology Diversity. Um, there's so many different organizations, but you really have to look into it and you have to find the good ones because some of them aren't so good. Um, it's true. They just, they struggle with trying to figure out how they're gonna help animals. And then we have the extremists out there that don't really care about the animals and tell you you're bad. Um, uh, let's just, so, let's just, let's just call it what it is. It's PETA. Simple as well, that. Simple as that. Couldn't, couldn't care less. And, 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 little, and others, and others, but, but and, uh, PETA's the big bad as far as I'm it's, concerned. It's absolutely crazy to think that we need to talk to the public, tell them that this is good and tell them they, they still think, as you said earlier, you know, you're, when you're diving, um, I was in the Seychelles Islands about three years ago, and we were diving in beautiful, beautiful waters. It's in the middle of the Indian Ocean. But yet, we came across parts of the coral reef that were completely bleached in the middle of the Indian Ocean. And you're thinking to yourself, how does this happen? Uh, and when you think about that, 100 million sharks a year are killed, either by hundred. A hundred million sharks a year fin finning. I mean, I didn't, I couldn't, I did a year. I didn't. It's not, it's not all finning, but the reality yeah. is, is, I, you know, I struggle with that because I'm thinking, who, who, who in the world is counting all these animals? Number right. one, how right. do they estimate that? Right. And then when you think about it, how do you examine that? And I told people that just think of every shark as five foot long. Well, that goes around the equator five different times in every 365 days. And, you know, when you talk about 96 elephants a day are being killed and poached for their ivory throughout Africa, 96 animals a day, um, that is, you know, that's a slide that's never going to be sustainable. You know, we have to stop these issues. We have to tell people that the ivory is not medicinal. It does not help you. It doesn't solve all these mysteries. No, of life. no. Rhino horn does not is is not medicinal. Tiger penis is not going to do anything for you, etc. I yes, this is that's what that's what this podcast is is actually all about. It's to it's to spread the word as well, much as I can. We should start a bit. We should start a business, and we should sell fingernails and, and clipped hair because that's the same product. And that you know, if people think that that will save their bodies or something like that, that's crazy. But the reality is, is everything is linked to some sort of economic gain or some sort of resource gain. So we have to be smart about this. We have to have one plan in each of the areas of the world where these animals are protected, they're taken care of, but you have to have the people that live there have some sort of financial economic stability. Exactly. So that they can protect what they so love in, in other love what they protect. Right. In other words, around. make it more profitable for them to protect the animals than to kill the animals. Absolutely. Yeah. There has to be in it something for them to make it worthwhile. And that's sad that we've reached that point. Of course. But you just you would think you'd go out and help them anyway. But anyway, it's it, it needs to be worked at piece by piece by piece. And under the IUCN, the International Union of Conservation of Nature, and the Conservation Planning Specialist Groups and the Species Survival Commission, there's a lot of volunteers there that give their time and energy, but we have to find ways to funnel money into those particular areas so that we can save the tigers, the elephants, and the rhinos uh, because they're going away at a rapid rate. Um, it's just crazy when you think about the, the Javan tiger. Uh, it's gone. Um, you know, the Baiji River dolphin, it's gone. Um, all these animals, the great auk, beautiful bird is gone. Uh, and we're losing the battle on other things, the vaquita, the chihuahua. I was just going to say the, the vaquita. 
it's just amazing that we're we're slow and that's what i kind of said saturday night we're we've got to be and i, I gave an example and ready for this before i my first rugby game and i know it doesn't connect to conservation really but I was bloody beaten up and bruised and lost the game. Not me personally, but the team lost. And I was frustrated with that. And I walked over to the coach and I said, Pat, what does it take to win this game? And he said to me, well, it takes four things, Brad. And I said, well, what are they? And he goes, you have to have, you know, fire in your heart and you have to have ice in your brains. And I looked at him and I said, well, okay, that makes sense. Uh, then he started to walk away from me and I said, whoa, 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 Pat, what are the other two? <laughs> and he says, you have to be fast and smart. Yeah. And I contend that we are smart people, but I also contend we're not fast at anything. We're too slow. We're too bureaucratic. We're too, the world is filled with nonsense today. Yeah. Just nonsense. We, we waste time and energy on stuff we shouldn't be wasting time on. Agreed. And yet Agreed. everything's just going away at a rapid rate. So, being fast, Carolyn. How do we get faster? That's the exactly that's the key. and smarter. I think the well, people, people are not people. People are not stupid. They're not, and certainly, and certainly, the listeners of this podcast are not stupid. But, but in in many ways, we are we are we are preaching to the choir. But, but in terms of getting my listeners, at, first of all, more love them, and getting them to then spread the word, because. People are not stupid, but they, I think we've gotten lazy globally, absolutely lazy globally. So when we walk away from, from, a, from a marine park or, or a zoo, you're right. We walk away and it's back to, it's like, it's like, it's, it's like, almost sometimes it's like it never happened. It, it, and and we go back to our lives, and we go back to treating the animals in our own home the way we, the way we do. We don't we don't think, we don't we don't. Very few, I think, take the message with them because it's on little it's on plaques and it's on you know ninety six a day and and this species there are only one hundred and fifty left in the wild and and we read these things but they don't register. So. Asking people to to go online and research these, you know, the the good organizations, the good conservation organizations, the ones you, the ones that you should contribute to, the ones that you should volunteer with. It's that's that message of go and do that. That's not getting through to people. Don't and the, the message of don't be lazy. That's not getting through. No because, no, because you have organizations who say, give me your money and we will, we will put all the bad actors out of business. So that message is being short-circuited by well-funded groups who do have the money to Act repeat their messages that are often false. Radical activist groups that don't care about animals. Let's we just we just got we have to we have to call. I mean, I can call them out. You can't necessarily call them out. Yes, you're right. You're absolutely right, Gray. And especially in Hollywood. Where, 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 where individuals with huge sums of money are being told, give me your money or I will out you as a person who doesn't care about animals. Uh, you know, and, that's, and, and so they do. They, 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 they simply write checks to get PETA and, and other like organizations off their back. And taking the high road is, is hastening the sixth mass extinction. 
I think that's true. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, again, you know, it would be nice if we could make people understand the fact that we have saved the oryx, the California condor, and other species around the world is because of the knowledgeable people at good zoos and aquariums. These are the people that have helped the field biologists and the conservationists in situ, which means in the wild, to actually save these species. So people have to get that connection. It goes from ex situ, meaning in managed care, to mid situ, which is managed care, to in situ, which is the wild, which is managed care. Everything is being managed in some level on this globe. And we have to continue to tell people, let's make it simple, let's do it fast. If you're gonna give $100, if you're giving $10,000, you're gonna give a million dollars. Give it to this group, making sure that that money is used specifically on the ground to help maybe it's to hire poachers, anti-poachers, excuse me, to make sure that those animals are managed and protected. So we have to be able to give a direct answer to people without making them feel that it's their fault. They, the guilt complex of the, the degradation of this globe today shouldn't be on today's people. We should look at it smartly, as you said, not get lazy and figure out, okay, what can I do? What can I do and how can I do it? Who can I do it with? Can I do it with Carolyn? Can I do it with Gray? Can I do it with the organizations that they support? Look to whom you talk to and whom you work with. And Jack Hannes talks about it for years about work with this group, work with this group, yeah. work with this group. Yeah. They're good people. Yeah. Well, and that's really important. The only people I actually have on this show are the good ones. They are they are the good ones. I mean, we've, we've had um, individuals who... Uh, are, on, are sort of on the opposite side of the aisle, and Gray and I have had discussions uh, and and kind of back and forth with with differing positions. But I don't actually know that I would want to have somebody from PETA on this show because I would I I I, I couldn't have them in the studio because I would kill them. It's as simple as that. Well, you're also not going to hear the truth from them. It's absolutely true because they don't care about animals. And if you and as I say, if you ask them. Where does your money go? What can you point to that is a program for animals, that's a building, that has a, that has a program? That what's, what's, they have nothing. They simply kill them. They simply kill animals because their creed is better dead than in captivity. And, you know, listen, captivity would have included your dog and cat when you were, when you were, when you were a boy. So, you know, I, 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 have, I, have, I have difficulty with that. But I think... Back to getting the message out. Is it possible to conceive of a plan to get those those institutions that come for that that really that highest level of accreditation to include in in what they are audited for saying look it, it, to to include messaging is that something that American Humane and the global, the I'm sorry, the humane conservation. I spoke about it. I, it. There are so many things on your CV that I, I get confused. That the humane conservation program can think about instituting, uh, and well, that's not just the welfare, the habitat, the care of the animal, but the messaging to the public. Is that something that we can think about possibly instituting with regard to the audit of these of these organizations? Absolutely. The people, the institutions that are being certified uh, under global humane or humane conservation are also the partners of American Humane. And 
we're, we're going global and we're going to start working in other parts of the world. But partnering with them and partnering with Chicken Soup with the Soul, for instance, the book publishing company, we're now starting to produce stories for different age classes of children in, in school about the great work that these zoos and aquariums, the messaging, how we save this animal, how we work with this animal, how we rescue this animal. Getting that message out into the children is very important because they're getting such the bad messages. We need to have communication. We need to create PSAs, public service announcements. We need to work very hard at that messaging. So it's part of the certification, obviously, but it's also part of continuing to be a strong partner to work at saving species. And again, that connection between a good zoo and aquarium is to shine a bright light on them and then shine the light on where the work needs to be done. Those conservation programs, again, with those partners are the ones that we need to talk about and find other mechanisms or other vehicles like Gray with his zoologic and with you and animal magnetism. Those avenues talking about certain programs in certain areas, we need to do that constantly. But the day-to-day -day work of talking about science and preservation and conservation, people turn it off. And I don't know why, because people have beautiful animals at home, but they turn off the rest of the world because they don't want to get involved. It's, it's, well, gosh darn it, if you don't get involved, it isn't going to work. I think it's, I think it's because, listen, again, I think I'd like to have a banner in every zoo that says, be kind to your, be kind to your dogs at home. Be kind to your pets at home. Start at home. You can make a difference by starting at home. A banner in a zoo, I think, I think because, because the problem is so big, because the problem is huge, it's the world, it's our universe. And that is daunting to people when you're, tr when you're living paycheck to paycheck, when you're trying to figure out how you're going to feed yourself and your family, when you've got a car payment due, when the mortgage is due, the rent is due, uh, oh my God, it's my property tax. I, I've, I forgot to, I, you know, I've got to pay that. Thinking about animals and the fact that we are losing the battle for human existence, that's, that's like thinking what's on the other side of the universe to a lot of people. Do you know what I mean? So, yes, starting at home, but the, the message isn't getting out there to start at home. The message is we're losing the 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 Sumatran rhino. We've lost the West African white or black rhino, and, you know. And so people people don't think that far. I'm thinking we've got we we put a banner up that says "Be kind to your dogs at home." <laughs> I think we yeah. we get people to think small first. Great. Well, and we have to think. We have to get them to think as consumers the choices they make every minute of every day walking down the grocery aisle. And there's some, there's some apps that help people make good choices as far as whether or not the products they buy have been made with sustainable palm oil. Palm oil is a huge problem yes. in, the, in the world because it's grown in regions where there are some really biodiverse areas and it requires destroying the rainforest in order to plant this palm forest. And so slaughtering the, the orangutans. Right. And so, so, you know, Brad talked earlier about making small decisions, small steps to improve the world. That's one that could have a, a critical impact. Now, there are there what we need are an educated consumer base that says, I'm only going to buy from sustainable uh, sourced products. 
And then we have to be diligent because people backtrack, companies backtrack, they, they slip and slide. And so there's that accountability factor that um, we have to build into it and make simple for consumers when they make simple choices at the, at the grocery checkout. That would go a long way to help preserving what we have left. I have a great, That's a great example. I mean, yeah. Bob Chastain, who's the director of the Cheyenne Mountain Zoo, took it upon himself to start the palm oil awareness issues within the Association of Zoos and Aquariums in North America. He's done a great job. One person started it basically with the help of others and the influence of others, but he's done a great job. And Jenny Gray in Zoos Victoria has done the same thing in Australia. So there are individuals, as you said, Gray, who are actually taking on these battles one by one and putting that message out there. And if you diversify too much, you're going to lose your energy. So it's really it's really good to find people focusing on these, these single issues to really take a, a you know a, a important impact. The other thing that people have to realize, even in their backyards today, when you see butterflies and bees, the pollinators, the pollinators are all going away. I know. The I Franklin know. bumblebee, for instance, in Northern California and Southern Oregon, the last three years they haven't found any at their normal places, none. So when you lose the pollinators, that is the food source, when you think about it, for humans. Pollination is so important for the food we eat, and yet nobody connects that dot. So it goes from something very small to something very large. And people focus on sometimes dolphins and elephants and what about the snakes and the slugs exactly. and the sloths? Exactly. The ants. And is uh, yes, I'm I find I'm finding I, I've got bees in my in my privet that lines my driveway, and it's like go have fun, yes, go go go. And that, but then I'm I'm starting I'm starting to find a lot of dead bees in my backyard, and it kills me. It just kills me. Or or ones that are that have that are walking sluggishly on the ground, and I don't know what to do for them. I mean, I just, I, I I walk around them, of course, but yes, how 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 do I how do I save what's in my backyard? You know, well, so, yeah, I think that becomes sort of a gray and I've talked about this a little bit in the past. It, I, I, I envision sort of a geographic territorial hot list. You know, the, the conservation world doesn't talk about hot species lists anymore. They talk about the red list and everything else, which is really important. But if you talk take geographic areas and you realize what's in that geographic area and what good institution is in your area that a good zoo and aquarium also and you partner to figure out what can children do? What can adults do in that geographic area? Something they can control and then find out the businesses that are in those areas that can be part of that complex uh, community. And that's where the money can come from also besides just the individual. So there's a, there's a synergism here of people looking at their, where they live, what they can do, who's in that area. Uh, and then all working together and focusing because, um, that's where it's going to start. Right. It's going to start right. and work out of the backyard. And then everyone can do that. Um, and then it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Then, then you have examples where other stakeholders in other parts of the world look at that and go, we can do that also. Why not? I have two stories um, along those lines. Um, I am 
frequently invited during, especially during award season, which now seems to run all year round. Um, but we're getting into it to these things called gifting suites, and gifting suites is uh, it's it, they're very interesting. It's just it's swag. It's free stuff. We got we got we got swag when we left uh, the American Humane uh, Hero Dog Awards, and and it's just bags of things. And you go to these various hotels or restaurants where they have all of these vendors, and a, a big thing that people have are cosmetics and soap and candles. And I am now always asking, it's like, do you use palm oil? And sometimes these little girls who, who just, they're just there to kind of give away the product. They say, oh, yes, yes, we use palm oil. Or no, we don't. And I say, uh-huh. Uh, why does it say palm oil? Here. And they say, oh. And I say, is it sustainable? Oh, yes. Tell me where, 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 where you get it from. And they can't. And so I put it down and I walk away. And they, are, they, 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 get very, uh, they get very miffed and they're very confused. And I walk back and I say, until you can tell me that this comes from a sustainable source where orangutans aren't slaughtered and their eyes go big. Uh, I said, I, won't, I will not use this product. I, won't, I will not promote this product. So I'm trying to, I mean, it's, I might be a little harsh with them, but I don't care. But the other story is that when I was in Jamaica at this resort, uh, called Hedonism 2. That's right. That's where we were filming, and it is actually the resort that's used in the film. They housed us, they fed us, and and it was it was it was again a big get for this film in terms of in kind um, in kind uh, remuneration. But but the owner of Hedonism 2, a man named Harry Lang, who I just adore, um, because I went up to him. The first week, he was there. He, he travels a lot. He goes, he, he's very, very philanthropic. And I said, Harry, I said, you've got, you hand out plastic bottles like you're handing out Christmas candy. And every time I ordered a straw, they just put a straw, plastic straws, plastic straws. I said, this is insane. You need to start a, I don't see any blue recycling bins here. And he says, well, we don't have a recycling program because Jamaica doesn't have a recycling program. And I said, you know people in the government, so start it. Start a recycling program. But I said, but start it here first. I said, stop handing out water bottles. Make people, you know, have a water tap that people can go with refillable, with, 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 with glass cups. And I said, and stop handing out these plastic straws. And he got very silent. And he said, I've got to think about this. Well, I left Jamaica and... and Harry had gone to, I think, Napa Valley to some fundraiser, and he texted me, and he said, I'm coming back to Jamaica with a 1,000 paper straws, and we're going to see which ones work best, and then we're going to order them. And I said, you are saving Jamaica. And he texted back. He said, you are saving the world. And I said, I'm not. But, but thank you. Thank you. And I said, export. You've got, you've, got mil you've got lots and lots of naked people around here who are paying a lot of money to be here. You got the money to send, pack it up and ship it back to the United States and recycle it there. And he says he's going to think about it. We'll see. So I was very proud of that. I was very proud of me for yeah. insisting on that because you've got to speak up, people. When, and I love the fact that there, are in, that there are restaurants here in Los Angeles that don't give straws anymore and if they do a lot of them are paper straws and that's it's just it's like it's one thing because straws are the biggest contributor they're the, they're the biggest source of plastic in the ocean I didn't know that I thought it was water bottles so I had a little success at hedonism too 
and I didn't get naked. Well, you know, <laughs> I think that's really, I mean, he should be commended that because if you think of all the other resorts in Jamaica, if they all got together, they talked about good common sense solutions, they'd actually save probably money as a consumer right. from the suppliers if they all did the same kinds exactly. of things. Exactly. So there is a, there's, there's always a bright liner to a dark cloud or a, a problem. There's always a solution. That's why when I say we're smart enough to do this, we just got to do it yeah. and get on with it because yeah. then you have Jamaica, a beautiful part of the world where not only is there no more plastic straws, but there's recycling. And then the, all the guests that go there and spend that money, maybe 5% or 2% of the money of every guest goes to preservation of certain species and, right. and corals throughout the Jamaican area. Because think about that. They, they're protecting their future now. They're, they're connecting every reason to visit because of what's there. Jamaica is basically the, the island, the interior, and I didn't. I guess I didn't realize Jamaica was as huge as it is, was as large as, as it is. But the interior is basically uninhabited, and that, and it's and it's becoming a landfill. It's becoming a landfill, and so if if hedonism starts a recycling program, then and then it's and then it's passed along, and you know someone who's listening, like maybe or me, calls. Beaches calls sandals, which are the, it's the resort right next to Hedonism. <clears throat> beaches right next to it, and all of these tiny little resorts, and say, stop using plastic straws. Just start there. Just use paper straws. That's it. Or don't give straws at all. And if you do, make them make 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 them paper. You could they could save tons and tons of money, lots of money, and help. So you know, letters need to be written, which I will be happy to do. Calls need to be made, which will I will be happy to do. But it's but I'm just one person. So everybody listening to this, watching this, needs to make a phone call, because you can be that. Brad, as Brad just said, it was one person at one zoo that started the campaign against straws. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Started started the campaign against palm oil, and that's taking off. So be that one person. Be the one person that calls the last resort you visited a cruise ship, a cruise line, and say, stop, you know, paper straws. That's it. Just start there. And then we move on to plastic bottles. And then we move on to, you know, what, what else? So make that phone call. Absolutely. I mean, there's, when you look at some of the things that the SeaWorld and Bush Gardens Conservation Fund have funded in their grants over the years, when we look at, uh, in Uganda, there was a group of, you know, there's a tremendous amount of of energy wasted by the women there that have to go out into the forest every day to get lots of wood to actually put into their stoves. And so they're, they're going into the national parks, taking the wood out. And so somebody was smart enough to create a fuel source made from a leftover protein. And therefore it's like chips, uh, heat, you know, charcoal chips or whatever. Yeah. And in essence, what they've done is they've created another source of heat for the stoves so that people don't have to go in the forest and strip the wood. And so we, that, that small little example, right. it sounds, sounds kind of corny and crummy, but it made a big difference in that area of the world. Listen, and, when, when you talk about leftover protein, you're talking about, you know, like elephant patties, droppings, absolutely. things like that. Listen, it might not smell great, but you can open a window. Well, there's there's ways to make it work, and, right. and they're doing that. And so we funded that project, and we... And, you know, when you think about the bushmeat crisis throughout Central Africa and, and uh, the Pan-African sanctuary for protecting chimpanzees, there's, there's again, there's, whatever your heart gets tugged at, whatever species you love the most, 
there are good organizations out there that we can find ways to direct them to, people to. And we can do that through you, Carolyn, through you, Greg. Just say, well, what's your favorite animal? What do you want to do to help? How much do you want to help? And then we can direct you. Somebody needs to help and say, okay, call this person. This person does this for this organization. If you really want to save orangutans, here's what you can do. Right. Bingo. Right. So if you don't want to save orangutans, but you want to save the black abalone or you want to save the vaquita or you want to save something that we should, you know, the, what is so important for the future is the reality that you can do something about it. And it starts at home, but then you do something small, something leads to something big, and bingo, you've, got, you've created right. the monster that is a good monster. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Brad, thank you so much for coming on the show. Will you come back on and talk more? Sure, anytime. Okay, don't, don't say that because I will hold you to it. And Gray knows <laughs> I will. <laughs> yes, she will. She will. <laughs> well, we can talk about a lot of things around the world and, and everywhere we need to do it something let's do it let's do it you have uh, unfortunately you have just committed yourself to this show so thank you and as and gray gray used to be just <laughs> i shouldn't say just but he gray would come on sporadically now he's now he's chained i am i am i am his <laughs> i am a, i'm another ball and chain and so uh don't Gra brad you may find yourself we may have another co-host um thank you so much brad for coming on you're you're very exceptionally wise and and it's again it's all about messaging and and if we can if one person can can do just one thing every single day baby steps baby steps lead to larger steps lead to a marathon so i'm i'm hoping once again thank you so much for coming on brad andrews who thank is, you very much yeah, my pleasure absolutely my pleasure a lot of good Lot of lot of lot of wonderful wonderful things said today, Gray. What would we do without you? What would I do without you? I, I. Would you know, be, your life would be a lot simpler without me. Yes, a lot less exciting. <laughs> lot less. What's that? I said a lot less exciting, a lot less oh. fulfilling, um, a lot less satisfying, a lot less gratifying. So thank well, you. Nothing, nothing's been more gratifying than seeing you grow in this animal <laughs> uh, passion of yours. Become become the monster that I am. Miss Andrea, uh, again, I would be I would be lost without you. You are oh. how's how's life up up there in Washington? It is wonderful here and rainy, but not right now, so that's all good. We had rain every single day in Jamaica, uh, <gasps> somewhere between twelve and five, and it and lightning and th thunder, thunder like you would not believe, and lightning strikes like right out there in the like right off the beach. It was it was insane. Rain, rain, rain. You know, so, and yeah. I come back here and there's and it's dry as a bone. Um, <laughs> thank you for everything that you do. Uh, thank you, my wonderful board operator and, and producer, Tony Sweet, the handsomest man in radio. Um, bless you. Bless everybody. So, listeners, again, another wonderful episode of, of Animal Magnetism. So many wonderful things said. Listen, take small steps, small steps, and, and find the, as Brad said, find the animal that you want to, preserve the most and go and do something. If you if you go to your local zoo and you see something that you feel is off kilter and not right, say something. Say something wonderful. Compliment them on what they're doing because trust me, in this day and age and in this climate and especially in this city, they need it. They are not they are not 
making millions of dollars uh, to, you know, to go home to their mansions. They are, especially the trainers, the keepers, the staff, they're there because they love animals. So compliment them, tell them they're doing a wonderful job, and they will keep doing it. We will see you again in two weeks for another episode of Animal Magnetism. I have no idea who my guest will be. It's going to be a big surprise, uh, even to me. Um, and I'm, I'm just, I'm almost at a loss for words, so thank goodness we're out of time. Uh, as I always say, in your heart and everything you do, attempt to cultivate the preservationist heart, and it will lead you, it will never lead you astray. It will lead you down the right path. Thank you for listening. Animal Magnetism. I'm your host, Carolyn Hennessy. We will see you in two weeks. Bye-bye. <laughs>